You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 20 for October 23rd, 2007, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. I'm back. Once again, the Woo-hoo! fan favorite. Well, I wouldn't go that far. There was plenty of emails, I think, that were something like, oh, great, Matt's back. Oh, you know, uh, that'll Matt. be after this episode's posted. Anyway, still. <laughs> no, so, they uh, love you. They love you. Uh, you do love me. You, you like me. You really, really, you really like, like me. me. <laughs> I saw when you wrote that. I was like, oh, man, that's great. Good stuff. She's seen the, the tears in my eyes and the people trying to push me off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> you like me. So, so enough with the uh, the the, the uh, acknowledgments and everything. Let's move on. If, if you have a comment, question, or uh, some feedback from something that you've heard on a previous show or something you're going to hear today, you know what? You can get a hold of us so many different ways. Basically, it's either you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com, or you can pick up your phone and leave us a message on our our voicemail, which is six two three two four two two four five zero. And as always, these will be posted in the show notes because if you have a memory like me, uh, you forgot them just as soon as I said them. So, with that said, speaking of memories, I'm just going to get this out there real quick. I finally got some shop time. I don't know if you've been following on, on my show. I have been complaining about the fact I got no shop time. And the number one thing I got to do this weekend, besides pushing dust piles from one side to the other, is I had a small project where I made some uh, uh, platform shoes. Really? And yes. We have a friend who is, uh, she wants to go as like uh, one of the Kiss characters for Halloween. And so she <laughs> said, you're a woodworker. Make me some shoes. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so why you not? made some clogs, huh? Nice. <laughs> yeah, they're about three inches tall, and I have no idea how she's wearing them. So I'm, I'm going to have her fi- you know, sign a piece of paperwork saying that if she breaks her ankle, it's not my fault. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Really? So tell tell me about that. What what did you do? How'd you make them? Uh, basically, she just sent me a uh, uh, a pattern, an outline of her actual shoe, and so I just kind of you know uh, printed it out, and then I took it and glued it onto a piece of plywood that I had, and made my pattern with that on the band saw. Just use some spray adhesive, okay. put it on there, and then cut it out. And then I that that one pattern, I just kind of cleaned it up a little bit, got the saw marks off of it, and then used that as my main pattern on more scrap plywood that I had laying around. Wow. And then just kind of laminated it all up together and put it on the router and kind of used a straight cutting bit to, uh, you know, one of those, uh, the uh, trim bits, and uh, was able to get, you know, decent enough results. The way I look at it, they're going to be on her feet. We're going to be at a Halloween party where most people probably won't remember what they even dressed up as, yeah, let no alone kidding. notice her shoes. So I think I'm pretty safe. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, there's nothing cooler than, I mean, we look at all this stuff online, we read all these things, and they all seem to see, you know, kind of be in a similar vein. You know, it's all furniture or turnings or things like that. It's so cool when you do something that's completely off the wall and you have to use your woodworking skills to accomplish it. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I think all of us are in the same place. You know, I, I mentioned it. It's, it's the idea that as soon as people find out that you're a woodworker, then suddenly requests start coming out of the, you know, out of everywhere. And it's just like, yeah. one of those, you know, and it's always, first of all, it starts out as picture frames or something like that. And then yeah. it's like, you know, I saw this thing in the Museum of Modern Art. Do you think you could reproduce it? Uh, <laughs> Do you think you can get an exact scale measurement of that so that you can make one for me? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the great the great misconception that I love is, uh, when someone wants you to make something and their automatic assumption is that because you're making it, it's bound to be cheaper. Oh, yes. I, I love that one. <laughs> it's like, yes, of course, if you were just buying the lumber, that would be cheaper. But lumber doesn't just magically turn itself into furniture. You know? right. <laughs> yeah, I always love giving them that that first price. And then they look at me and I'm like, all right, I'll give you a slight discount. I'll take two dollars <laughs> off of it. <laughs> so then the question is, what what kind of finish did you put on those heels? Um, I have no idea. I just handed them off to her, told her they're her responsibility. So I think she's going to like spray paint them with like some silver paint or something like that. So that would work. Yeah, oh, I'm curious fantastic. to see the end result. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, you have to post some pictures of it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, preferably with her not falling off of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to uh, briefly talk a little bit about water-based finishes. Okay. Um, you know, in my shop, we are always using lacquer and just standard uh, oil-based varnish and wiping varnishes and stuff. And those are great tried-and-true finishes. I mean, they, they work well. They look gorgeous. But in case you haven't noticed, there's definitely a uh, a trend toward being a little bit more green uh, these days. I don't I don't think you could look at a magazine and and find an, uh, any magazine out there that doesn't have an article about the topic. So right, absolutely. Yes, I mean it's gotten me to thinking, what can I do to do my part? And I think you know you and I are in a position where 
we talk about certain things and our habits, you know, sort of influence other people's decisions. And, um, you know, it started making me think maybe what I, you know, should do, the responsible thing to do is to give water-based finishes uh, a real tryout, give them a workout and see if I can get the finish to look comparable. I don't expect it to look exactly the same, but if I can get it to look comparable, uh, you know, to the finishes that I'm used to using and, you know, customers of mine wouldn't notice the difference, then I think it may be worth switching over, you know? So right. I started, I just started to dig a little bit deeper. I started a new thread over at Woodnet. Uh, that's a little, about a week old now, but um, I'll post the, a lot of these links uh, in the show notes so people can refer to them. Um, there's also a, a good Rockler article talking about water-based finishes and the whole reason I really got thinking of this was the most recent um, Fine Woodworking magazine had a good article about uh, spraying water-based finishes and then a comparative uh, – well, actually, it wasn't really that comparative. It was just discussing the different types of water-based finishes, and it had a really informative chart that showed you know, four or five different types, and I had no idea that, that the science behind it was so – I don't know. It was so detailed, and 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 I basically realized how much I didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, the only one go. I can think of is there's just like one out there that I've ever used. So when you said like, there's you know three or four out there, I'm like, what like three or four of the same exact line? They you know, different <laughs> yeah. different uh, labels for your region or something? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, that's that's the thing. I was really surprised that the formulations are that different. Some of them burn in, you know, like lacquer that melts into uh, previous layers of lacquer. Uh, some of them don't do that, more like uh, polyurethane. Um, you know, so it got me to thinking that there are some really cool new technologies out there. And if I could do my part to put less crap in the air and, um, you know, something that doesn't stink up the house, I don't see any reason not to do it. Um, yeah, at first glance, I'll tell you, I did call a couple of the companies to see if I could get some samples for the show. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when I get them in and actually test them out. But the one thing I noticed is the price. Okay. And the large majority of the ones that I looked at were significantly more expensive than uh, some of my main things that I've used in the past. Like uh, uh, the Sherwin-Williams pre-catalyzed lacquer was one of my favorites. Um, You know, so it's not that big of a deal because I don't go through a huge amount of finish. But that would certainly be a concern, you know, for someone who is considering switching over and you're in business. Right. You know, if you're going to pay 10 bucks more a gallon, you know, that that could make a big difference in your bottom line. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, but maybe you could market it then as like, you know, your your mark, the green wood whisperer. Kind <laughs> you, of know, a well, <laughs> you know, that's funny, but I bet you that would work. I mean, there are going to be people out there who are going to search out, you know, home builders and things and uh, companies that uh, advertise using green technologies and, uh, you know, people who leave less of a, uh, what is it, a carbon footprint fingerprint whatever they call right, it yeah um, the carbon footprint yeah there you go um <laughs> well the next thing I'm... you could do is since you're a woodworker and people are always looking for something really unique maybe you can make some faux solar panels for the side of your house so when those people show up <laughs> quickly you and nicole can run out there and put those in place and then you're like look how green i really am everything runs us. on <laughs> yeah no that would be a great idea well the funny thing is how ironic is it if you're like finishing some you know exotic uh, rare exotic wood, but you're finishing it with water based. Does that cancel out? You know, you're oh. depleting the rainforest, but you're not polluting. There you go. Yeah, you, you're. Yeah, you're kind of negating. You're negating <laughs> your, your little footprint there. You're like, I got a big footprint, but it's okay. I filled it in with the <laughs> the well, water based. It's, you know, it's it's better than nothing, I suppose. But well, anyway, moving on. Um, speaking of fine woodworking, uh, they actually this just came to my attention today. On their homepage, there is a little link uh, above the main feature there that is a back-to-basics video review. And, um, you know, this is one of those things, Matt, that I think as you and I get further and further and, you know, you get deeper into the hobby and I just get busier and busier, we tend to forget sometimes how to go back to basics, to remember what it was like our first week, our second week of when we decided we wanted to take on this as a hobby. You know, so it's really important to to go back and, 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 you know, revisit some of those things. And um, I think Fine Woodworking did a fantastic job with this uh, first video set here. So, um, again, I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. But if you get a chance, go check it out. Really good videos, very clear. Uh, Asa and Matt are the guys doing it. We did have a chance to uh, to meet Asa, and I, I had met Matt in, uh, in the past before. Great guys, and uh, they know a lot about woodworking, so it's definitely something to check out. Even if you're not a beginner, there's a lot of stuff that they review. And oh. you know what? It, it's good, clear video, and that's always fun to watch. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, when you watch crappy video like 
the stuff I put out. <laughs> You're like, what is that? Is it a piece of wood or? <laughs> well, there's plenty of crappy video on the internet. It's it's uh, rare to find good quality, and it's not necessarily everyone's anyone's fault. A lot of it is obviously the logistics and bandwidth issues, but still, for the situation and for you know, even compared to some of the other stuff that's on fine woodworking, these just looked really, really good. I, I enjoyed watching them. So check those out. Excellent. Yeah, having another resource for everybody to turn to, you know, it, it really does make a big difference and it just makes us it makes the opportunity as woodworkers to really grow more and learn more from each other and there's always that one question when you're just kind of like what was that you know I mean I forget a lot of basic stuff a lot of times so I got to go yeah. back and oh yeah there it is <laughs> yeah and and the other thing is as we teach ourselves and you know what unfortunately most of us are self-taught for the the large part even if we spend time you know like me working with someone um, you still have gaps in your knowledge and it's really great to, to see a basic review and to try and fill in some of those gaps. Can't, yep. uh, you know, can't go wrong there. So, all right. Well, you know, you mentioned the voicemail line earlier and, um, I had paid for like a little trial thing to get that number in the voicemail set up. So people have a regular phone number to call in. And I wondered whether it was going to be worth it because the, the voicemails were just kind of trickling in, but then again, it was the end of summer, and you and I both know how that goes. It's uh, a slow woodworking time. That's right. Um, so I was in for a surprise when we had, you know, almost uh, 16, 17 voicemails waiting for us. So, Holy cats. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm trying to do now is break them up in a logical, you know, order. We can't necessarily play all of them. Uh, we will play a few at the end of the show that are just um, basically comments, you know, okay. that we don't need to, to really discuss, but we want to let the, everybody's voice be heard. So if we don't get to your voicemail, we're really, really sorry. But what would really help us is if, uh, you know, people tried to keep their voicemails down to like 30 seconds, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but if we go like a minute and a half to two minute voicemails, it becomes very difficult <laughs> for us to actually play them on the show. Right. Definitely get but, right to the, the, the point of your email or your voicemail. Yeah. Don't do the thing where I keep on talking in tangents. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's don't don't do a Wood Talk online show. That's basically. right. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's our, our thing that we have to struggle with all the time. So. All right. Well, you know what? Speaking of those voicemails, I think it might be time to jump into one such voicemail. All right. This one being from Chris. All right. Gentlemen, this is Chris in Herndon, and I have two unrelated questions for you. Um, the first one um, has to do with frame and panel um, doors. And Mark, I watched your uh, video podcast on this subject just recently, and your explanation of leaving um, some extra room uh, on the, I guess, the style the style width of the door panel um, to accommodate wood movement over the seasons. And my question was, I was wondering if there's a way to uh, actually calculate um, that, that degree of space you need to leave um, so that you don't end up with a problem. You know, if I leave a 30-second on each side and it ends up expanding three 30-seconds, I'm in trouble. So that's the first question. Okay, well, let's address that real quick. Okay. Um, Matt, I know you've, um, if I recall correctly, you wrote in Woodcraft Magazine in one of your uh, little features there. I think you may have mentioned the Woodbin website in the past. Yep, I think that was one of the yeah one of the first times it appeared. Yeah, it's a great resource for a bunch of online software and just kind of tabulators and stuff like that. Right, and I think this is exactly where uh, Chris needs to go. Um, yep. There is a, one of the calculators there is called the Shrinkulator. The Shrinkulator! Uh, the Shrinkulator! It's very, very cool. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the the brother of the Sagulator. And um, it's a, a close cousin to the Tabulator. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of later later siblings. Um, so the Shrinkulator is woodbin.com. Let me give you the address real quick. Woodbin.com slash calcs, C-A-L-C-S, slash shrinkulator.htm. And if you know the wood species and you know the uh, the size of the piece, the thickness, and I'm pretty sure you would need to know the relative humidities of the areas that it's going you know, starting at and right. going to, mm-hmm. uh, you should you should be able to get a reasonable estimation of how much expansion or shrinkage you're going to see over time. 
Nice. Uh, have you actually tried that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've gone there a number of times. Yeah, but... no, I, I'm actually, I just brought it up and I'm looking at it. And um, no, I, I, you know what, I, I knew about this, but I never really played around with it. Because I, I did it the, the one old-fashioned way, which was, and I think we talked about this one time before in an earlier uh, wood, wood Talk, which was uh-huh. the idea of where we took some scrap of, you know, like some, some regular material that we might work with a lot with. Like in my case, I have right. a lot of pine or cherry. And just simply marking it and saying, okay, now this is the situation in the summer. Okay, and then I remark it again, and I measure it periodically, and that helps to give me an idea of the the fluctuation, you know, sure. within my own shop. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the the shrinkulator right now, and uh, yeah, this is this is really neat. This is a great idea. It's cool. Yeah, and it only, yeah, and it's a couple is, of things you punch in, and it, it gives you a ton of information. Yeah, and the bottom line is, I don't use it as much as I should. And you know, if I'm building something for here in Arizona, there's not a whole lot that's going to go on with yeah. that piece of furniture. <laughs> Um, but if it's going somewhere else, that is a really, really important thing to be concerned about. So something like this, awesome. Yeah. Definitely uh, go check it out. So you could build that piece in Arizona, and then we could ship it to Tampa Tom and see what Tampa. happens to those panels. <laughs> that would be a fun experiment. We should we should do that. That'd be great. And see, you know what? And see how it compares to uh, to what the shrinkulator tells us. There you go. That would be a great trial to see how well this is. <laughs> right. All right. Here's uh, part two of Chris's uh, voicemail. Okay. And the second question is, I, I also saw the discuss tool, uh, the short video on a sander, and uh, my question is, is, was that video done just to um, just to demonstrate the capabilities of the sander, or the technique they used was sanding up through the different grits of abrasive, and then finally going to a wax polish and buffing out the wax? Is that a finish that people use, or is, you know, can it can be applied in some case? Oops, I hit the button. Hold oh, on. I was wondering if you had ever seen or ever used just a basically wax on top of the natural wood finish. Um, so that's it. My two questions. And uh, thanks for the good work you do on all the podcasts. Okay, so the interesting thing about this, when I spent some time with Festool, I actually brought that up because they were sort of showing it off as, look how great this is, look at what you can do. And it was almost as if like, well, what good does that do us? I mean, to back up, just in case anyone doesn't know, Festool has a video um, that shows how awesome one of their sanders is, the Rotex series sander, and how they can go from rough wood to a finely finished uh, piece that's you know has a shine, and they haven't even added any finish to it. It's basically just been buffed up uh, to a really nice shine with nothing at all other than uh, abrasive pads. Okay, and you know, amazing, right? I mean, it was really cool to see that done, but in all practical purposes that's not going to really work for woodworkers. It's not going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I kind of was talking to him about it because they almost seem to be presenting it in that sort of fashion. Right. Um, but th- the more I talk to the, the, the trainers there at the facility and just um, kind of getting to the bottom of what, what was their point, they're basically just showing how versatile this tool is that um, y- you wouldn't necessarily really ever sand your wood up to 2,000 grit, but you might be sanding finish at 2000 grit and get that sort of, you know, super high gloss, um, you know, type of finish. It was just basically showing from the most aggressive tasks to the most delicate tasks. This sander does everything. Okay. Um, you know, and to answer Chris's question, I don't think I would ever coat anything just with a coat of wax. I mean, maybe, but nothing in particular comes to mind. Um, I've probably said it before. I'm not a huge fan of wax to begin with, even on top of finishes and certainly not as, the only thing on the wood. I, I think drawer runners and interior moving uh, friction parts might be the only time that I pull out some uh, some wax and put that on a piece of furniture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds to me like the, the situation with festivals, it's, it, it, and it's so much like with any time like a tool manufacturer, you just want to show how well your tool can work in so many different situations. You know, I mean, it's like like the Ginsu knife. I mean, we talked about this before. It's like one of those, you know, how many times are you going to break out, you know, like, oh my God, honey, I got some PVC or I got this steel pipe I got to cut. Run to the kitchen and get me the Ginsu knife and come back here. By the way, as soon as I get done, slice those tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but every time I'm slicing tomatoes, I get the urge to slice the can in half as well. So there you go. You know um, what? Maybe if you're running, your family's running low on iron, you know, a little iron deficient, somebody's anemic or something, maybe you could slice. <laughs> slice some iron with your Ginsu to get embedded in there and then you could chop the tomato up and get a little extra iron in the blood. <laughs> there you go. That, that's a good possibility. You know, do they sell Ginsu knives anymore? I bet you somewhere out there they probably, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of late night TV watching, but I'm sure there's got to be an infomer- 
commercial out there for that baby someplace. Maybe at the uh, As Seen on TV label at like Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that. <laughs> there you go. That's probably exactly it. But yeah, that's a, it might, that's what I'm thinking Festool is kind of like one of those. It's just, you know, this thing can do absolutely everything and we're going to prove it and, you know, give you the absolute extreme because then again, you never know. There are plenty of people yeah. out there that are like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> right. Well, the bottom line with, with Festool products and, you know, they're not making tools, well, with the exception of something like the Domino, they're not making tools that don't exist already. You know, they're entering in into a market that's already flooded with, you know, products. So um, the thing is, they do have some really amazing uh different features to their tools that don't exist anywhere else. So the truth is with, with festival stuff, the way they are sold is through demonstration, right? You, you have to see them work to really understand what justifies that cost. Uh, and if you don't, then it just seems like an expensive overpriced tool. Yep. Um, so I could see why they do it, but you know, to answer Chris's question, I, I think it's more, uh, for show, I don't really know that that holds any practical purpose for for most projects. Yeah, no, I can, I still can't imagine polishing my wood to two thousand. That actually, I barely can stand doing it to two twenty. So I, I was gonna say, I'm lucky to get mine in the one eighty before I say this sucks. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> 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 all, right, all right, moving on. All right, let's move on to our next one. Now, our next voicemail is from Fred. Episode nineteen was quite excellent. Just keep up that kind of discussion with whomever, with Matt, with Tom, you know, whoever. I just wanted to get out a, get out a nice, fine ale. And since I called the question line, uh, you make a mistake. There's a hole drilled in the wrong spot. Maybe somebody else made the mistake, not you, as was the case that I had to deal with something. But it's in a highly visible spot. Talk about some ways of filling that highly visible hole that you just don't know what to do with that's already finished, where the builder's going to have a heart attack because it's the third time he's had to produce a door for the Sub-Zero, and every time it's been his fault. How do you fill that little tiny hole to make it match? There you go. It's a question to work with. Have a great day. Next time I'll ask about hide glue. Ciao. (laughs) By the way, this is Fred in Duncanville, Texas. Well, it sounds to me like Fred in Dunkin' Donuts, Texas, has um, he's he's angry. Yeah, it, he's it definitely sounds like a situation that um, I'm thinking is is he the contractor that suddenly has to uh, be dealing with this person who uh, <laughs> put the hole in there? Perhaps, or? <laughs> perhaps. I think he might want to stay anonymous, though. <laughs> yeah, or maybe I guess my first piece of advice is. Just in case the ale had anything to do with the mis, you know, mis drilling there, hide the yeah. ale bottles. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, all right. So, fixing the so hole. So, what do you think? Oh, yeah, big see. hole, and it's finished. It's already finished. So he's got to fix this hole. Right. The, the short of short of replacing the whole door. <laughs> let's see. My my first thing is thinking. Um, let's see. It's probably what he said. The second or third time that this has happened. Uh, I'm wondering about plugs. Is there any way that you could match up like perfectly the grain with the plug? Like maybe take a little bit of a, a cutoff from the one that you've already worked with that you've, you've, you know, obviously a lot of times when we're working with things, we've got plenty of cutoff someplace. So maybe we yeah. can match up the color that way. Um, Sure. You know, you're definitely going to have to get into a situation where even if you do that, you're going to have to kind of blend it in a little bit. So then you start thinking, I don't know, maybe artistic a little bit or something. You, you, how yeah. well does your kid draw? How well yeah, do you draw? You <laughs> melt some, uh, grab the right color crayon and just melt it into the hole. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little, a little wax or something <laughs> in there. Just kind of, kind of build it up from that. Um, yeah. Or my favorite is I'm a, I'm a big fan of strategic placement of door handles. <laughs> ah, there you go new place for the handle exactly or maybe you have an, an, an emblem for your business that might be another good choice <laughs> but actually, just inlay it in there. there there you go yes that's a great spot for like a dutchman <laughs> yep, yep that would be perfect good idea yeah so i'm, um, I'm thinking a plug of some sort would probably be the best one definitely yeah well see now my concern with the plug is the finish mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty hard to drive a plug through there and get it perfectly flush and then be able to finish it to match and uh, not have an eyesore, but oh, that's yeah. not to say it can't be done. It's to say that I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I probably wouldn't be able to either. I, I would once again point <laughs> out the fact that I'm a home guy. So, you know, you, I don't know right. what you were thinking, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Now I've seen, um, I, I've worked in a, a refinishing shop for a while and uh, my, my buddy Cody actually does this kind of stuff all the time. And he is, 
a master at doing this type of matching, you know, where mm-hmm. um, you've got something that's a, you just have to get it perfect otherwise, or at least perfect enough for the average person not to notice it. And a few of the things that he's tried and stuff that I've learned is to, you know, it really, like you said, it, it tends to be a little bit more artistic where you need to put something in that hole that matches your background color. So if it's a darker red color, maybe you want to use one of those burn-in sticks and drip some of the, you know, some of that material into the hole. Okay. Uh, you know, make sure it's nice and flat and get the color. And those kits usually have a hundred or more colors in them. So you can get pretty darn close to whatever your finished background color is. Mm-hmm. And once you get there, you're halfway home because all you need to do is now make it look like the grain, you know, sort of copy the grain. And a lot of times all it takes to do that is a colored pencil. Right. So if you can get a soft colored pencil, brown or black, and you could trace back in that grain, you'd be really surprised at how how good that will look or how easily, um, you know, uh, disguisable something like that would be. Right. So either... You know, either using some kind of a paste filler that's been dyed to the right color or the burn-in stick method. Um, you know, those are the first things that come to mind to sort of art- fill it with some artificial material um, and then paint it. Yeah, absolutely. That might be, you know, this is your opportunity to expand out a little bit and maybe move from the woodworking-related stores to your local neighborhood art store. I mean, I'm sure they could probably <laughs> easily come up with some great stuff for you to help out and, yeah. you know, and, and definitely go from there. That, that might be a you know great opportunity to check that out. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, try to come up with a finish. Can you imagine if this is like a polyurethane finish and oh, you got to try and, you know. What a mess. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I've seen in a few books um, some really, really good techniques. I don't know if it was a Jewett book or Flexner's, one of those dudes. Um, where they showed, you know, using some of these powdered uh, dyes and things and, and just kind of making a little paintbrush palette. And literally, you know, you fill it with whatever filler. It could be Bondo, mm-hmm. but you're going to actually wind up painting it when it's all said and done and blending it into the surface. Um, you know, things like uh, if you burn through the veneer um, and you get to the backing material and how do you hide that? And there are a few techniques that I saw them use in there that are just amazing. But clearly it comes down to practice. That's right. Um, but I would say the three or four times that I've had to do something like that turned out good enough that like I wasn't a hundred percent happy with it because I could still see it. But come on, we you know we see everything as the people doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, oh yeah, I'm still what, pointing out things that today that people are like that's your best piece. I'm like, what are you blind? Look at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what what really made my day was when I showed it to the customer and they couldn't find where that previous flaw was. They just couldn't. They couldn't see it. Um, so there's a, there's a word of advice. I know when I first started giving things to customers, especially if it was a friend or friend of the family or something, I would always point out my flaws, right? Don't do that. (laughs) I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. They don't care if, if they find it, that's one thing, but if they don't find it, just don't say a word, let them look it over, let them make, you know, a judgment and have an opinion of their own. You just sit there and smile. And when they say it looks fantastic, you go, Thank you. Yep. Yeah. See, my, I made the mistake years ago of showing my wife, like, you know, the same area that kept getting messed up from project to project. And she has a, no problem at all zeroing right in on it on my newest projects. <laughs> oh, there's your flog in. When you're going to learn not to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, the wife is a whole different story. Nicole loves to come in the shop and I'm not even done with something. She does the same thing to me when I'm working on the website. It's like, oh, you should really fix it. And I'm, I'm trying to show her some other detail <laughs> yeah. of it. But she focuses on on one like on the one thing that I I know I haven't finished yet. It's not done. Um, but she she loves to 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 really bust my you know yep. stuff well, on that one. The one the one <laughs> phrase that kills me is the uh, Are you gonna leave it like that? <laughs> <laughs> what? That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> so one, one last thing is, that, you know, this idea of like covering stuff up is, is nowhere by any means a new idea in woodworking. I mean, it's been going on for years. Look at the old plantation homes. I mean, I remember seeing specialists talking about the fact that the old plantation homes, they had artists come in to make wood look like it was more expensive, exotic wood when they couldn't afford yeah. it, you know? So it, this is definitely yep. something that's been going on for years. So, you know, Fred, Absolutely. maybe that's what you need to look at. <laughs> definitely. It can be done and takes a little practice. But, you know, when it comes to the the cost of replacing the door versus a quick little repair, it's well worth giving a shot. Right. So, and don't get overzealous because it could be like one of those, maybe you made this out of birch and suddenly after your little artistic stint, it now looks like mahogany. They might pick up that there's <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> just maybe. Just maybe. All right. Moving on to a quick voicemail from Bob. Uh, ooh. This is Bob. 
I know Mark likes the Duringham respirator filter system. I was wondering, is that good for people with beards? I'll talk to you later. Bye. Well, Bob, I am not bearded. What? You're a baby face? Usually. I am scruffy most of the time, but I don't have a full-fledged beard. I've got a little flavor saver soul patch, and uh, fortunately that doesn't get in the way of my respirator. But um, may I would say for me personally, um, you know, this respirator works great, but I will probably have to defer to someone who actually has a little more facial hair than I do. <laughs> oh, who's, oh, wait, I, um, I have facial hair. <laughs> Matt, you have facial hair. How does that work for you? Well, I'm, I've seen your face mask that you've used, and, uh, yeah. you know, I have one similar that I use periodically. And unfortunately, no matter what I do, short of trimming my my facial hair to fit the the outline of the mask perfectly <laughs> which might be yeah. an option if i really needed to use it a lot but unfortunately no matter what i do short of maybe actually slathering vaseline around the perimeter of my my hair area um right. it's it's you're not going to get a really tight seal i know for a fact like, i kind of looked up some stuff on like it was an osha website or something once because i remember i, I yeah. went um, snorkeling and they said the same thing about that like you know the water kept going up into my mask and they're like we can put you know Vaseline or something on your mustache and like eh, it's okay I don't mind being blind right now it's no big deal <laughs> but that was one of the things that they actually talk about like you know OSHA kind of mentions the fact that if you're you're doing a situation, if you're in a job where there's a high dust and everything else where there's a major health problem, you actually do have to put limitations on the type of facial hair that a person can have. So sure. that's really short of maybe also contacting the uh, manufacturer and saying, hey, can you make a bigger pad? <laughs> you know, yeah, you know something yeah, a little no bit kidding. bigger to wrap over the whole entire face. So, oh, there's another option, a entire like head mask. Maybe they can come up with a dust mask like a like a beekeeper hat. And there you go. That would look great. So, or which also reminds me of, I think there are those uh, other dust uh, masks that basically, I don't even call them a dust mask. It looks like something out of Star Wars where it pinches your nose and <laughs> goes behind your head. And <laughs> I've seen that. And you know what? No offense to that company, but that is the most ridiculous looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, not that like woodworking is cool and like I can, you know, leave my garage door open and, and chicks just hang out and watch me, but <laughs> I am not going to walk around my shop looking like a scuba diver out of water. See, and my problem is with the the, uh, the air tubes kind of sticking out the back kind of a thing, my family would be prone to sneaking up behind me and sticking their fingers up it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't breathe. Yeah, Dad's passing well, out. This is great. <laughs> well, you know what? That thing is really weird. Um, it, it, I, I just can't imagine wearing that for any length of time. I mean, I, I used to scuba dive all the time and snorkel. And I actually would get, you know, the inside of my gums and everything would get kind of irritated after a while uh, holding that thing in there. And I, I think when something's in, in your mouth, some people, I don't maybe all people have a tendency to grip on it a little bit. Yep. So my jaw would actually hurt after wearing something like that too long. So to to me, that's not an option. What I would what I would say for Bob is to look into some of the full face, you know, possibly forced air systems. Um, you know, there's a real simple system by, I think it's Trend that makes the mask, and I believe it's usually intended for turners, um, but it's a little battery-operated filter system that keeps putting fresh air into the mask, and it's full face, wraps around the neck, well below the beard, um, and I think that might be a good, relatively inexpensive option. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Other than that, I, I can't think of anything, so <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, don't make dust. <laughs> there you, don't make dust or shave your beard. Those are the other two options. There you go. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Woodworking without dust. Huh, that's like scuba diving Wood, without water. How about water. woodworking? Well, woodworking without a beard. I mean, mm. Norm, Norm's got a nice beard. Well, it's either, it's either beard or plaid. So beard or plaid, you know what? Does does my little uh, uh, soul patch count? Because I'm I'm feeling like I'm not doing the right thing. Uh, here. Well, you know, we it is the new generation of woodworking, so eventually we will take care of it. Because I don't <laughs> wear a the, lot of plaid either. My wife threw all my plaid out. So <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the generation X beard. There you go. <laughs> well, and the, the and khaki is the new plaid. So. That's true. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe what I'll do is you know. Let's start bringing back those little pencil-thin mustaches. Maybe that will help out. Oh, you know, we'll do something like that. I would love to sport one of those. Nicole would love that. Yeah, I'd be like the little red bear and like, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could grow some really cool. I used to actually, when I was in college, this is such a complete departure from what we're supposed to be talking about. But 
just for fun because I can grow a beard so fast. I would, um, you know, every couple of days would literally change my beard <laughs> so that, it, you know, I would start out with the thickest one possible, you know, the one that takes up the most real estate and then shave it down to ver- different variations until finally I was left with like what I have now. <laughs> it was great. People you can tell were very what, what, what day it was by what Mark was wearing on his face. <laughs> yeah. And I was the guy that would walk around campus and people would go, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> yeah. so, and we still yeah. say that. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. People they tune into the woodburst and go, "Oh, it's that guy." Yeah, you it's, you you thought it was the t-shirts. It's actually the the, the facial hair they're waiting to see. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Now, fortunately, I've I've gotten uh you know this I've gotten stuck on this particular tangent. So you know how you it's just it's just easy to maintain and it's not a big deal. But anyway, enough about my facial hair. Okay, let's move on to our next voicemail. Then we'll, we'll quit picking on Mark. <laughs> yeah, All right. Please. So who do we All have? Right. We have Chet next. Chet, here we go. Hey, Mark and Matt, this is Chet Kloss from Livonia, Michigan. If the name is familiar, it's because I've been fortunate enough to win swag both from the Wood Whisperer and from Matt's Basement Workshop. Bragger! Double dipper. My question is about jigs, both your favorite jig and maybe the jig that you use the most. I know for me, my uh, most used jig is is a panel cutoff sled that I use for taking my big panels and getting them dead square. I think the one that I use the most is a sharpening jig that uh, David Charleswood, David Charlesworth put in his uh, DVD on sharpening. What's your favorite jig, and which ones do you use the most? Great shows. Keep them both up. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Hmm. All right, jigs. What do jigs. you say, Matt? I am thinking, you know, because we do a little, you know, jig of the month once in a while, so we get some really great ones coming in. But I'm trying to think of... You know, I have a panel sled that I use all the time simply because I have one of the world's crappiest miter gauges that ever existed. Um, (laughs) So I use that one quite a bit. But I'm also thinking I'm very partial to my homemade tenoning jig that I have. Mm -hmm. And I'm also partial to a – I really like doing, like, sliding dovetails, so I have one of those. But I I guess I'm going to have to say it's my – my panel cutting sled because it's the one that I use the most often. That that's it. Yeah. Panel cutting sled. How about you? Good answer. Good answer. Well, I would say that's probably for most people. You know, panel cutting sled is is you know indispensable. But what I you know this question got me thinking, and I was a little bit disappointed because I I associate the homemade jigs with just like the I don't know the the salt of the earth woodworker. You know what right. I mean? It's, it's like it's it's just essential to good woodworking the people who like to really just make their own tools and use them in the shop. And, and it's a good positive feeling for me. And then I, I was disappointed in myself to realize how far I've gotten away from those things. Um, and I know exactly why it is. Um, but, y- you know, there, there are a few things that I still use, you know, like the tenoning mm-hmm. jig, for instance. That's hard to find a replacement for that. I love my tenoning jig. Um, but, you know, I actually this year disassembled my cross-cutting slide. <gasps> Because I know, can you believe it? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a letter from David Marks now. I'm, I'm gonna be out of the club. But um, you know, I actually took it apart because it was taking up space and I wasn't using it. And I will honestly say the reason why is because of some other tools that I now have in my collection that I didn't have before. Okay. Um, first of all, having a really good miter gauge has has sort of negated some of the uh, cross cutting sleds uh, function. Uh, secondly, getting the Festool multifunction table has eliminated a lot of my need to cut panels. Mm-hmm. I do everything on the MFT. And then thirdly, getting a, and I think the extra two inches between a um, sliding compound miter saw between the 10 inch and the 12 inch makes a huge difference. And I have a 12 inch um, Makita sliding compound miter saw that does just about everything else that that uh, cross-cut sled can do. Now, I'm sure there may be things that I'm forgetting, but I haven't in almost two years run into something where I said, gee, I wish I still had that sled. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, there's really nothing to be ashamed of in not using this stuff anymore, but it just was, for nostalgic reasons, I was a little disappointed that I'm not using my jigs as much as I have in the past. (laughs) You know, but at the same time, with the the, the, to kind of give you a little bit of credit here <laughs> the, the things that you're talking about though you get a lot of accuracy out of them and you know to kind of bring up the notion of the fact that you know you are working in a professional shop so therefore you, your time is money for you it makes you know yeah. more sense i mean i i would i know for a fact that if i was doing this as my 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 living
thing. You know, I would do those things. But yeah, it is. I can see how you get a little nostalgic for it because I think of all the jigs that have come and gone in my shop and. Yeah, you know, I get a little weepy once in a while. And then at the same time, I also remember, though, and I know every single one of you out there listening to this runs into the same problem that eventually those jigs, suddenly you realize, damn it, it's not as great as it was. <laughs> Something's <laughs> yeah. going to happen eventually. So it's like one of those, you know, as, many, as much as we love to make these things, eventually at some point you're going to realize, well, they're going to need to be remade sometime. <laughs> yeah, they need to be remade or they need to be adjusted. Yep. You know, I think every couple of months I would adjust my um, – my uh, uh, panel cutting saw or yeah, panel cutting uh, jig just because it would go out of uh, out of square. Yep. So, but I, I thought I'd sing a little song for you oh, here, Matt, oh. just for the nostalgic reasons. Is Ready? this a world premiere? Uh, it will okay, be. Yeah, great. just uh, just a couple words. Okay. Ready? Of all the jigs I've loved before. Oh man! Isn't that a country song? <laughs> it was beautiful. I'm I'm tearing up, but not for the not for the reason you are. <laughs> Everybody just turned off their computer. That's great. I can uh, I can how do, how can I get uh, a thousand people to uh, all throw up at once? <laughs> yeah. There are you people ready? that are driving themselves into the into the tree right now for the one reason. <laughs> I probably should not have done that. Um, let's pretend that I did it. Yeah, uh, no, we're not rewinding and taking that <laughs> off, buddy. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to move okay, on. Okay, let's move on. We're going to go into emails now. So this is the portion of the show where you get to listen to Matt slaughter things and Mark try to help him. <laughs> there you go. That's what we're good at. Okay, so our first email we have here is from Rex. And I'm going to say this right off the beginning. As I read this and once you listen to it, if you have some feedback for Rex up and over what we talk about, by all means, drop us a line because I think it would be really neat to hear what everybody has to say about this. Mm-hmm. So now yep. Rex's question is, what straight grain wood would you recommend for making trekking poles used for hiking? Similar to ski poles, but used for hiking. The poles would be about 54 inches long, with the top end being about one inch in diameter and tapering to about a half inch at the bottom end, which would be capped with either rubber or a metal tip. They need to be strong, but light as possible. Would it be possible, and would there be an advantage to using glued-up plies of a straight-grained wood? Enjoy your show. Thanks for motivation, encouragement, blah, 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 Rex. Okay, so he's going to make some trekking poles here. Some, you yeah. know, The one thing that I was thinking, the first one that popped in my head is ash. And the reason for it is the fact that baseball bats are made out of ash, and you know, sometimes I see people leaning on those and you know, you know, walking out <laughs> to the baseball diamond with them. <laughs> Good logic, good logic. But the one thing I'm thinking is, uh, my first inclination is that it needs to be strong, but it needs to be light. And I won't say that ash is light by any means whatsoever, but because it is so strong, perhaps you can make it a, the diameter a little bit thinner, and thus you would be able to, you know, get the strength that you need, but without having to worry about, you know, it being so overwhelmingly heavy because you had to make it, you know, really big or something. I guess is what I'm going at. My yeah. second idea is... Um, Maybe like like going for like a bamboo or something. That's that's something I was thinking. Did I get you on that one? Yeah, that was that was my idea too. You stole my answer. You right. Yaha. So, but <laughs> but with a going back to like a more of a traditional hardwood. If you want something like maybe like a, a white oak or something like that, a hardwood that is maybe great for outdoors. I don't think I would use like a maple or something unless I really maybe um really you know finished it with something that's going to hold up to the weather. Because if I remember, I think maple's not really a great one for outdoors. I think the bugs really like it and being yeah. trekking around bugs are going to be everywhere yeah so. yeah well what i mean do you think at that uh what, what's he say it goes down to you know starts at an inch at its uh, yeah and then it goes down to half inch i think I'm, I'm wondering how much the weight really makes a difference for hiking true i mean i could see for skiing and golf and things like that you need uh more or less lightweight material but then again i'm not much of a uh hiker or uh trekker uh, but you know, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I imagine after a really long hike, you could probably get a lot of wrist fatigue if you're carrying something that's, you know, a couple ounces heavier, but right. it seems like even white Oak, you know, once you get it down to that thickness is going to be pretty unsubstantial maybe, yep. but I could be, I could be out of my league here and what I'm talking about, but yeah. well, um, maybe also, the bamboo also, thing, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the bamboo thing sounds pretty awesome. I mean, I know he wants to build something, but you know, you may be able to get a bamboo the cane or whatever you would call it that that would work perfectly for that yeah and maybe this is with the bamboo the more i'm thinking about it maybe this is where you could really he was asking about the possibility of like um getting like several plies glued up or something yeah maybe with the bamboo Uh that's what you could do that is you know 
cut it up and then you know you put plies or something like that in there because I think that's how they make some of the the laminate floors. They cut it. And I was going to say, together. what about a couple? How about a couple? Um, you know, spare pieces of uh, bamboo flooring. There you go. Yeah, why not? You know, you, stack those together. So I'm wondering if like part of the idea with these trekking poles is that just in case animals come out, you want to be able to whack them with it. So <laughs> yeah, you got to be able to move fast. <laughs> yeah, because remember, whenever you're hiking out in the woods, always walk with somebody slower than you, so that way when you got to run away. They were behind you, and you're making a headway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and next week we'll discuss how to build uh, wooden samurai swords. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. And my my only other question <laughs> about the trekking is now, perhaps do they call themselves trekkies? Because that'd be really confusing if you're going to a trekkie convention. A trekkie convention, yeah. Do you show up wearing your uh, your Star Trek uh, outfit the, or uh, your hiking boots? Exactly. How embarrassing would that be? You show up with your Vulcan ears, and uh, it turns out everybody else is hiking boots. So, yeah, uh, you'd be the laughing stock of all the online forums yeah it's i'm used to it so it's no big deal (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna move on here we've got uh, another question here from zach in uh las vegas never mind yeah you know that always reminds me now of that stupid viagra commercial did you see that oh yeah thanks for reminding me (laughs) fantastic commercial isn't it yeah great great use i I think uh there's a certain performer rolling in his grave right now yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) all right well zach says first i want to say that i really enjoy all you guys do for us listeners and that you've helped to pave the way on my beginnings with woodworking so thank you for your help suggestions and all the mistakes that i haven't made due to the information you provide anyway i haven't had a specific question to ask wood talk online yet and i feel it's my duty to contribute So I finally have something that I feel may be worthy of bringing up on the show. My dilemma is that I'm having a bit of trouble getting up the motivation and going down in the shop. I know, I know, before I get booed off the show, let me explain myself further. It's not that I don't want to, it's that I can't get going. I haven't had any time to get into the shop lately, and I have lots of projects planned to upgrade the shop with a new joiner addition to the shop. Uh, He needs to rearrange things a bit, and um, also has some furniture and things that he wants to make. trying to cruise through a long email here. Uh, he's been out of town a lot. It sounds like he's been, um, you know, when he does get, when he is home, he doesn't really have uh, the luxury of time to do things because he's doing other stuff. And uh, yes. when he does have the time, he's beat. Um, so, scooting down here. So, my actual question is do you guys have any good ideas on how to get some motivation when time is a factor uh, or when you feel overwhelmed with the amount of work that you need to do? I can't remember this topic being brought up before. Uh, but I think that if someone, uh, it's something that many hobbyists can relate to. I feel that the amount of work I need to do just to get the shop up to my standards is the size of a mountain. And even if I started, it would be interrupted for weeks, possibly before I could continue. Uh, mainly I need time, but I honestly haven't been able to concentrate on just finalizing some, some plans for one project, uh, writer's block or something. So, um, you know, the thing is here, Zach, I think this happens to everybody in any hobby that you get into. I think a lot of times you you get into it, you go up that hill, and I think it's a a predictable pattern almost. You just take it all in, and you're reading everything you can, you're watching every video you can, you're in the shop every spare minute, and then real life intervenes. You get, you know, maybe not quite burnout, but certainly the beginning stages of burning out on the hobby, Um, you know, and it becomes a little bit harder to get your butt down into the shop and do stuff. Um, Yep. I've got two bits of advice. One is a way to get yourself motivated and to get things done. And I think this relates to stuff we've talked about in the past, Matt, about uh, getting stuff done in the shop. Um, You know, and the other is just some basic advice in general concerning it. And first of all, let me say that if you don't feel like going down in the shop, don't go. Right. Um, You know, it's not like the hobby is going to run away without you. Um, woodworking hasn't changed that much in the last hundred years and probably really won't right. from in the next hundred years. <laughs> no um, matter what we do to it. <laughs> yeah, no matter how much we butcher it, we can't change it. Um, you know, so the thing is, if you don't feel like going down, this is supposed to be fun. And if your idea of fun, after a few long months of traveling, you know, for work, if your idea of fun is putting your feet up on the couch and having a beer and, you know, watching uh, cooking shows... Not that that's what I do, um, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> if, if, that, if that's what you want to do, then do it. You know, it's all about fun. So when it becomes fun and you're excited to get in the shop, that's when you go back in there. Yep. Don't force it because I don't think that that really solves the problem. That doesn't make you want to go by forcing yourself to be in there. Right. Um, that being said, if you do insist on forcing yourself, and uh, <laughs> this is coming from someone who has to make money in the shop, so sometimes I do have to force myself. If you've got a mountain of things to accomplish, 
To me, the easiest way to do it is not to look at the mountain, it's to look at all the little steps on the way up the mountain. So, you know, break everything down into logical little projects. Don't say, I've got to rearrange my shop and fix everything up in my shop this week. Say, you know what, it's Monday today, I need to do this one thing. And break it up over the course of a a bunch of days. And those little victories, those little accomplishments... Um, will get you from the you know from the beginning to end one step at a time. And if it's too daunting to look at the final goal, then don't look at the final goal. Look at all the individual steps that it takes to get there, and and that really should help you get these things done. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it, nibble away a little bit here and there, and you will get there. The only thing, other thing I'm thinking is, you said you feel like the amount of work I need to do is just get the shop up to my new standards is the size of a mountain. In that case, do what I do a lot and lower your standards. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that. They see it as going backwards, but you know what? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna start a uh, I'm gonna start a list of Matt isms and that, that'll be our first one. Yeah, look. when there's too much when there's too much when your standards are too high, just lower your standards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds good. We'll get that printed up on T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. All right, let's move on because we're actually oh, running long today. Yeah, we are running a little bit long here. So, anyways, um, let's see here. Our next question is from Joey, and he says he have a, he has a question about finishing. Um, I'm making some drink coasters, just small wooden discs. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> having problems here. <laughs> Uh, my wife has decided to join me and try to like knock me off my you know my game right now. So you, oh. we're gonna get a little strike. You get you out have of to here. Play with distraction. Focus. Focus, so, okay. Danielson. Sorry about that, Joey. We're, we're, we're taking your question really serious here. Wow. Let's Jeez. let's start that one over again. Which is where's like, my wife? I, I gotta I gotta have some distraction here too. All right. So everybody, you know how wives are. Anyways, uh, Joey's question is, he has a question about finishing, which is he's making some drink drink coasters, just small wooden discs, is having a difficult time with the finishing. I'm using an amber shellac, and no matter how I try to apply it, I get dripping over the edge or onto the underside or it sticks to the bench. I need to be able to hold it while I brush it, but then I have nothing to hold in order to brush where my fingers are. Can you give me an idea of how you would apply the finish? Thanks for the help, just like everyone else enjoys the podcast. All right, Joey, so drink coasters, you need to put a finish on them, and you're using shellac. Mm, hoping non-alcoholic mm. drinks. Um, yeah, that could be a problem, huh? Right. So I'm thinking my suggestion would be think like those old gurus that would lay on the nail beds. And so <laughs> maybe if you have some sort of support, like I'm thinking like drive like four you know, brads or maybe some uh, screws or something up through a piece of, of scrap that you have laying around so you essentially can have the coaster floating up on top of it. And then that way you could like, you know, make your first coat, you know, you, you put your hand on there, hold it in your hand, push the, the first coat over the top of it, put it on, maybe do the edges there, and then you can set it down you know, with the finish side down on the nails a little bit and then do the other side. And this might mm-hmm. be one of those opportunities. You could always, you know, do one side at a time, too. That's another option. Sure. Um, and then since you're using the shellac, maybe if you're concerned about the dripping, if you are running into a problem with that, you could also easily maybe just thin the coats down so that way you're not going to be dealing with as much dripping. That might be a great way to go. You'll have to do, obviously, more coats, but I think you'll, you know, you'll get better results from it. Right. Now that's exactly what I would do. Couple finish nails and um usually I get, you know, some sort of uh, some sort of um, you know, metal pliers or something just clip off the end of the nail so you got a nice little sharp point there and just very carefully place the piece on top of that and those little pinpoints won't really make a whole lot of uh, uh difference to the finish itself. Um also he may want to consider switching over to some sort of a spray. Oh, yep. uh, whether it's spray polyurethane, spray lacquer, um you know, in this case I'd probably say polyurethane would be the best way to go if he has to finish it. Um, you know, and that'll definitely help him with the, uh, the dripping and getting a nice smooth, even finish uh, without having to actually handle the piece. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that's a great idea. Yep. Sweet. All right. Moving along. And, uh, last question here, we went from, uh, Joey. Now we're going to Tony. Hey, Tony, what's up? These guys Ooh. sound like Jersey guys. Oh. What's up guys? Hey, yo. Juice guys. All right. Uh, a few months ago, I took a course at a local woodcraft on bench planes. The course included a short story, that would be history, not story, of hand planes. Uh, this is. I'm sure there was I, I, a story involved in it. So there may have. Well, we're listening to a story. So uh, this is what the various uh, kinds of bench and specialty planes look like, and some hands-on time with some of the planes. Now the course was in the middle of a winter blizzard, uh, and the forecast arrived for the blizzard to arrive that evening, so we didn't get much hands-on time. 
While I was handling one of the instructor's bench planes, I noticed that the bevel was buffed to a mirror-like finish. I used sandpaper and a piece of plate glass I got from a kit from Rockler to sharpen my chisels and plane irons. You can see for yourself, or you can see yourself in the bevel uh, when I'm done with 2,000 grit paper, but the finish on the bevel on his plane iron was so smooth that you could probably use it in a telescope. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't that smooth, but I couldn't believe how smooth and bright it was. Now, with the blizzard threatening and all, uh, he apparently never got a chance to check or ask the instructor how he got it so smooth and bright. Uh, do you guys have any ideas on how to achieve that kind of a finish short of some jeweler's rouge and a buffing wheel, neither of which I have? Could, um, you know, I always have trouble with this word. Is it stroping or stropping? Uh, what do you think? I, I say stropping. I'll say stropping as well. Okay, that works what, for me. That's going to be the new uh, direction everybody's going in. Yes, and if it's <laughs> if it's incorrect, then we're starting a new movement. That's right. Uh, would stropping <laughs> on a piece of leather or MDF do it? Uh, how do you sharpen your blades? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Well, it's really just a matter of, of, of logic. I mean, the way you get it buffed up that shiny and that clean is to use high-grit materials. So... Um, if you can get a really high grit stone, I'm sure you could probably get close to that type of finish using stones if you can get your stones that high. Right. Um, I know with the Shapton stones, the ceramic stones that I use, they do have some really, really high grit stones, but whoa, are they expensive, like really expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, they I are mean, way out of touch. <laughs> yeah, like $300, $400. So. The most logical thing to do to me is to try and figure out some way to utilize, like he's saying, the jeweler's rouge. I know you could even go to, to Home Depot and get some. Um, it's almost a, like a compound in a push-up stick kind yep. of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can use that material to, uh, you know, give it a nice, a nice uh, shiny look. And that's probably the way the instructor did it. And in all likelihood, he probably has a wheel. Uh, with leather material on it that you just put a little honing compound on and um, you know turn it on and hone away. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now they, he says oh, he says I'm sorry. He says um, a piece of MDF. How do you feel about doing that? Putting a little bit of the compound on MDF and just you know running it across as if it were you know uh, like scary sharp method. Yeah, you know actually I have a a listener who I was kind of going back and forth with. He 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 is a sharpening fanatic. He he absolutely him and I were talking about our this like strange love affair with getting our our tools to this really scary mirror image as much as possible (laughs) you know the idea that it's going to be super super sharp not because i'm so vain although occasionally i do find myself you know being mesmerized by the person in the image you like to check yourself out when you're cutting those mortises (laughs) actually my main thing is making sure that nobody's standing behind me trying to clog up my uh, my breathing holes what it really comes down to (laughs) but um i know he's he's mentioned that he's used like diamond paste on like an mdf uh uh sheet and that's what i'm thinking like maybe with that uh the like the rouge or the the compound or whatever the honing compound maybe you could even put that down on there and then yeah run it across that my only thing with mdf is it seems like maybe if you got it so sharp you could actually tear into the mdf which eh, probably not gonna do such a great job for you true yeah and i think you're probably it's you know a one-time use thing you know if you are going to use something like mdf but um it seems like there's a lot of ways to get around it um but obviously if you can get some sort of a leather material that seems to really be the traditional way to uh to get that super super mirror finish right definitely the way to go yeah you know i I remember growing up my dad always had a uh like he had a, a leather strop for uh his like a straight razor which he never had at least never he never showed me but i know that he had that because occasionally when i did something wrong that thing came out and he would chase me around the yard luckily he wasn't able to catch me i don't know how that happened <laughs> so the, the the uh strop became a strap huh? yes yes very much so and yeah yeah i would suddenly leap uh fences in a single bound <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know my mom had a uh when we were growing up we had our roof redone and there was a uh, a strip of like this tar material left over from the roof that they thought was great to keep on top of the, you know the little telephone thing that we had in the kitchen where I couldn't reach it and we never got hit with it but we got threatened with it constantly <laughs> yeah. and I swear you would think you know I guess when you're a little kid you don't know any better but man Every single time I got threatened with the thing, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they never touched I mean they never touched me with it. It's not like I had ever actually been hit. It was just the thought that it might be I might be hit with it was so scary and I'm like Damn, I was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) If I only knew then the more things I could have gotten away with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, the funny thing is, here we go, I'm totally digressing. My brother used to um, get in trouble a lot 
but he was the rebellious type who would laugh. Oh, like, no. Like, uncontrollably <laughs> laugh when my mom would get angry, and even if she would, you know, give him a little spanking or something, he would continue to laugh like like a maniac. It was really <laughs> funny. He's a nut. Oh, man. So that means anyway. Mark was the good child. <laughs> I was the good child. I was definitely the uh, the tattletale big baby. But, um, you know, not much has changed. So Yeah. Well, my son's the same way. So and now I know it's a, it runs in boys, apparently. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> All, All right. You man. know, just, um, well, we got a few contest reminders, right? Just to get that out of the way real yep. quick. Absolutely. Uh, Highland Woodworking is once again giving us another Wood Slicer Resaw Bandsaw Blade to give away to one of you lucky listeners. So if you haven't gotten your name in yet, just drop us a line at wtlpromos at gmail.com and we'll make sure to throw your name in and as always once you enter uh you're in until either you win or highland woodworking comes to their senses and stop giving us uh blades to give away (laughs) so get those in and it'll be in the show notes for that (laughs) right now we also have over at the wood whisperer and of course everyone here is eligible as well uh, the Festool, uh, Festool giveaway, where we're giving away a uh, ETS-125 sander. Uh, go to the Wood Whisperer, look at the uh, icon that's on the top right-hand corner, and you can get details on the question of the month and how to submit your answer to that question. Um, let's see, what else do we have? The Wood Whisperer giveaway, just the regular monthly giveaway that we have, uh, kind of the equivalent to what we're doing here on Wood Talk Online, but we have a Tool King $150 gift card uh, that's up for grabs. So uh, lots of free stuff we're doing here, Matt. We're yep. like, uh, you know, we're we, like we Bob care. Barker, man. We're giving the stuff away. It is, yeah, and then yeah. uh, let, let's have the showcase showdown now. Oh yeah, well hey, while we're at it, you know, uh, we have uh, the free swag giveaway every week at Matt's Basement Workshop Podcast again. As soon as these idiots, I mean these uh, uh, people, come to their senses. <laughs> oh, oh. Nice. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. <laughs> uh, there you go. What kind of swag? Do you, what do you have? Uh, oh, well, this week away? we're actually giving away a DVD from Lee Nielsen. It's a Christopher Schwartz uh, DVD of building furniture with hand planes. Dang, and, uh, I want that. Do we? Okay, I'll make a copy for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure Chris will love that. Uh, and of course, we have books. We also give away a blade over there, also from Highland Woodworking. And more or less, whatever shows up on my doorstep, uh, it goes right back to you guys after I get done abusing it. <laughs> nice. Perfect. All right, Matt. Well, I think we got another one in the can here. And we'll see everybody probably next week. Yep. Take care, everybody. See ya. All right. Adios. Hi, Mark and Matt. This is Craig in uh, Springfield, Ohio. Hey, I just wanted to uh, give a couple comments on uh, some shows I just heard today. First, I really enjoyed the show with Tom. I thought he brought a, a lot to the show, and I'm looking forward to him being on again. Uh, very interesting conversations and entertaining and uh, had me laughing quite a few times. I appreciated Tom's uh, input into the show. And uh, second, I wanted to comment on the uh, the gentleman that was uh, trying to woodwork um, out of his apartment and was uh, asking about uh, uh, having a wood shop under those conditions. And I got to thinking about the whole Festool program, and I thought that, that would be a, an excellent recommendation, uh, being that the the entire system kind of works on that 4x4 four four table. I mean, you know, in 100 square feet of space, you could probably have a, a decent workshop with uh, desk collection and everything, uh, you know, built right in. Uh, I would have considered the festival thing had I known about it when I first got started. I worked in a pretty small area, and I didn't go that route. But uh, looking at it now, it, it seems pretty viable. I mean, maybe you've got a, a joiner that uh, works on that table. But, I mean, you've got the, the festival jigsaw, you've got the sanding, you've got the joiner, you've got the, the circular saw, uh, you know, the drills. You combine all that together, it's very conceivable that you could have an entire workshop uh, right on that small space. And it seems to me like if you were trying to uh, operate a workshop in a small area and, and most of the projects that you were making were, you know, small projects, uh, weekend-type working, uh, that festival would be the, the best case. Uh, I know it's expensive, uh, but I've spent well over. I mean, I, I think I could have got a, an entire festival shop for probably around $3,000, and I've spent well over that, uh, you know, just buying my tools. So I wanted to give that bit of advice to that gentleman that was uh, wanting to do that. Uh, Really enjoy the show. Uh, Keep up the great work. And uh, that's all. Goodbye. Hey, Matt. Mark, I was listening to your latest episode about the gentleman who was just beginning to start woodworking. I've got a suggestion for him, something that I've done. I got a workbench uh, that was one of these collapsible workbenches with a built-in vise that I used for a number of years. As a matter of fact, right now in my established workshop, 
I've got my miter saw sitting on top of it. But in my beginning years, that's what I used a lot. And another suggestion I have as far as a place to work, it doesn't cost a whole lot to get one of these pop-up tents, the kind that you see at, at uh, these uh, flea markets and bazaars and things this way that you can just take up and take down very easily. And then you can put sides on it relatively easy with your plastic and just a little kerosene heater or one of those butane heaters. You get enough airflow through there where you don't have to worry about uh, you, you know carbon monoxide poisoning. But you'd be surprised how much work you can do in a 10 by 10 space, especially if that's the only space you got. I guess it's better than the living room or not at all. Thanks. Have a good day. Hey, Mark and Matt. This is Jim. Uh, I was calling to comment on uh, you were talking about in your last podcast about joining wide boards. And um, I'm making a cherry dresser. I've emailed you guys a couple times about it. Anyway, uh, I've tried taking the guard off and joining the board on two passes. Uh, I've had some limited success with that. The other way that I found to do it is I simply put the board, I'm talking these boards were, they're for drawer fronts, so I wanted to maintain the width. They're about 10, 11 inches wide and about four and a half feet long. I put them on a flat sled uh, with some double stick tape just to hold them where they were actually touching the sled, but they were kind of rocking because they obviously weren't flat. So I shimmed them up with some playing cards till it was, till it was exactly flat, ran it through my planer maybe half a dozen times, and got a really nice flat face. So anyway, I just want to pass that along. Maybe somebody else has tried it. I don't know. But it was real easy, and it was very safe. So anyway, keep up the good work. Thanks.